0: Hi, it's a Tuesday night. I'll tell you, Jews, I'm wiped out. But if I don't do this tonight, it's not going to happen, because they come after put in time to put together these Yiddish lectures, as I mentioned before. I'm doing a bunch of them, four altogether, and they're long each one, and it just takes a lot of my time. Took a lot of time today. I recorded one that'll be on the YouTube uh, tomorrow night. So uh, I'm going to force myself now. No matter how late it is to uh, to uh, what do you call it, to do this uh, talk about the uh, haftarah this week? Look, I get a five something in the morning, you know. Uh, so here we go. Today's uh, haftarah this week's haftarah podcast is being jointly sponsored. First of all, by Scott Hertzberg from uh, Connecticut. No relation, to Rabbi Hertzberg. He says Scott Hertzberg. Nice to meet him. And this is um, and this is very nice actually in honor. Of his wife Tanya Tolchins having a special birthday soon. We share happy birthday, many years of good health, as they say, Gesund. and uh, appreciate it. And uh, also to my student and friend, uh, Yaakov and Siona Kohn. Okay? They themselves are part of Jewish history. If you know anything about Sebaros, but I won't go into that. And this is Yaakov doing it in honor of his grandmother. Grandma Toba Bashlomo, Katrina Richfield, from Hungary. I did not know that. That's his mom's mother, okay, who worked at a slave labor at a canning factory in the Second World War. That's very interesting. That must be why she survived. The Hungarian Jews that were in the labor, some of them at least made it. The others went straight to the Auschwitz. Boom. And after the war, she married and moved to Chader in Israel, he said. Eventually, they came to America typical family that built themselves up from nothing. But at least look what they have, you know. Baruch Hashem, they have a family and children and grandchildren and all that sort of thing. So, uh, as they say in the Shem, Shadav Aliyah, pay tribute to the memory. I think it's this Friday is the yard site. So, uh, by the time this comes out, spreads people will be listening to this hopefully on Friday and should be as a chus for her memory. Now, uh, briefly... This is a famous Haftarah that um, I always think of in a certain way. The Mafarsham are all over the place on this, and I'm just not in the mood to go and give a dry talk on uh, who's the calling God alone, why is he angry, and this and that and the other. (laughs) Basically, we have a problem this week with intermarriage, okay? Uh, The heart of the Haftarah, you know, as many Haftarahs do, I told you over and over again, they jiggle and trigger them around so that they don't start where they're supposed to start and they end where they're not supposed to end in order not to shock the public. So really, the Haftorah should begin at the beginning of Per Gimel and Zechariah. Zechariah is a Navi, may I remind you, at the beginning of Bishani period, literally. Um, this has to do exactly with the circumstances in Israel or Yehud in the beginning of Bishani period. Very briefly, once upon a time, there was a united kingdom in Israel, then they broke into two halves, then the ten tribes in the north eventually were wiped out or, or, or moved elsewhere. All you had left was the kingdom of Judah, the king of the Jew itself went then down to the twos when Babylonia, Nebuchadnezzar uh, destroyed the state and carried them off in exile in Babylonia. It says the tribe of Yehuda and Benyamin and Levi, I guess, Kohanim Levi. That's what you had left. Now, 70 years later, approximately without going into the exact counting, they were allowed to go back, and a, a, a fraction went back, 40 some thousand, led by two characters we don't know too much about A and B. A is Rubavell, who apparently was from the royal family of King David. Uh, so the idea seems to be that he would go back and become some kind of a junior king or a nugget or whatever. That never happened, right? That never happened. Um, most likely because the Persians who were the ones who let the Jews go back probably wouldn't allow that to happen. And number two, yoshoben know, Ben who's the hero, or at least, I should say, the main character uh, in today's Haftorah, the Ud Mutzal and he's going to be the Kon Yoshua is um seems to have been the son of the previous Koin gadol. In other words, he was an old man, uh, a very old man. If this, if the Jews are coming back at the time of Cyrus 70 years later, and he's called the Ud Mutzal Meish, Pashub Shad on that is he's a survivor from the first temple. There is a Gemara I know in Sanhedrin that he was in a furnace and all that, but Pashub Shad is, he's the Ud Mutzel Meish. He's a survivor of the Holocaust, as we would say today. Brand plucked from the fire which means he remembered the first temple uh, in the book of uh, Ezra where they describe in the first six chapters the history very brief and interesting history of the beginning of the second temple the ups and downs it says that when they um when they uh how should i put it dedicated the groundbreaking or something like that at the beginning of Ishany not the conclusion but the beginning of the project they call it groundbreaking So uh, they had a certain ceremony, and the old guys who remembered the first temple wept loudly, because the second temple was a cheap imitation of the first temple. After all, Bayashen was built by Shlomo Melch, who wasn't a billionaire, it was a trillionaire, you know, and uh, Bayashen was the opposite. Um, The Jews came there under very reduced circumstances, and it may even be, depending which Mepharshim, it's a little far-fetched to me, but I'll just share you this notion. Some of the Mepharshim say, (laughs) um, go so far as to say, then in this Hatar, which I think you're familiar with, they say that the angels the Satan says he's got dirty clothes, take off the dirty clothes and put on new ones so uh in a second, we'll talk in a second what the traditional interpretation is, but the Ebenezer, somebody says the dirty clothes were dirty clothes, in other words, they were so cheap, that is to say the Jews were so poor that uh you know there wasn't a good laundry, and uh God was uh, angry that their the Satan was angry that they uh wanted to run a base on dirty clothes. Which gives you an idea of the radical difference financially between Baithresh and Bhai Shani. was Shlomo milk, and he threw a party for the whole Jewish people, if you may recall. Go look up in the book of First Kings. He threw a party with endless food, and so on and so forth. That's when they ate in Yom Kippur. They had a party. Here it was the reverse. Okay? So uh that's what you, that's the difference between Baithrisha and Bhishani. One of many differences. But you and Yod um, therefore, it says uh, I was saying that those who remembered the first temple cried when they saw the second temple or the beginning of it, because they said, this is the bias Shani, what a cheapo uh, thing it is compared to is the Bayis And the young people um, uh, cheered because they didn't know, know better. But the old people who remembered the Baez were crying because they're comparing what they're seeing now to the old temple to the disadvantage of the new. Uh, out from Baltimore, Rabbi uh, Ruderman is a famous story when they dedicated the an Air Israel building back in the nineteen forties, in the middle of the Second World War. Uh, so it was a big, deal, I think, in forty three, maybe. I think it was a, a big deal to, for Davy Yeshiva building at all in America at that time. You know, uh, and he gave the speech and he said something along the line, quoting this passage, and he said, you know, for you young Americans, see a Yeshiva building here is, is a is a source of joy, which it is, but for people like me, we're crying because we remember. You know, Sabatka, Mir, Tells, and all that in the old Europe, which is now being wiped out by the Germans as we speak. You see? Which is being exterminated. So that's a dramatic scene. Then it was a dramatic scene in time of our of Torah. Now, um, here's the point I want to make. It's a very famous, you know, by Irenaeus, Yoshua Kona show colonel, like I said before, get rid of the first few sukkim, so get them out of the way, because they really are there just to pad uh, for the reader shouldn't should open the haftorah and say, you say the Welsh, and to and that the public should hear the beginning of the haftorah. that Satan the Satan, whatever it means, and I can tell you right now, whatever interpretation you want to give, for Hamun the reading haftorah it's the Satan with the with the horns. You know, it's the devil. So you mean sitno. So you don't want to start haftorah like that. Instead, you want to start a Haftorah. I get that. <coughs> but the heart of the matter is this business of the coin Goro. Now, what's going on over here? We, I think many of you are familiar with the fact. It's not the first time you've seen this Haftorah. Even if you don't pay attention to most Haftorahs, this one's a Hanukkah also. And um, the coin Goro, who was an old man, he was an Ud Meish. So that means he was in his, at least in the 70s and really older, uh, you know, um, I mean, he'd be 70, born from the bias Rishon, so let's say he was 80 or 90 or something like that. So it's just interesting, by the way, that a guy that old would make the trip to on the Aliyah. Um, the Jews who left from Bavel to make Aliyah to Israel, with Rebobo, was a fraction of the Jewish people, 40,000, 45,000. And uh, it's not the end of the world, but just think of what it means to walk, baby, to walk from Baghdad to Jerusalem. It's not that so push it? Agreed? Now, they didn't walk straight across the desert as the crow flies, like you say today, because what you call the country of Jordan today was this empty desert. It's not possible to go across there. But they went like in a uh, curve, you know, what's the right word? Uh, an upside-down V. So you go from Baghdad north, like Abraham did to Haran, or Haran, and then you go down, uh, so basically you go up the Euphrates River, the Tigris River, and then you switch into Syria somewhere. It's a long walk. You know, what I'm trying to say is like this. It could be done. And if a guy's young and especially in good health, it could be done. If you're calling God only you're 80, 90 years old, he's a chalutz baby. I mean, you know, that that's uh that's quite a tirchah that he did. So uh eish it's really quite a statement. Now, um here's the thing. His kids married Goyim, non-Jewish women. The Rambam says, I mentioned the other day, Okay, but the Koen girl did. All of them are different before Shem, Say, they married Goyim. Now, this is almost unthinkable. Um, now, how do I know that the, his kids married Goyim? They are named by name in the book of Ezra. Uh, let's let's uh, do a little coordination over here. Uh, the, the Jews come back to Israel 45,000. They undertake to immediately resettle and start building the temple. Uh, they start they get they have permission from the government. Um, the local Kusim and Arabs want to join them, and the Jews say, "Hit the road, jack.'re not you're not Jewish. As a result, the Arabs and the Kusim become their enemies and they lobby against them at the Persian court, just like the Arabs did in the Balfour Declaration afterwards. They are successful, and Cyrus gives a stop order. So let's say for a month or two or three or four, whatever, they were building the temple and then they had to stop. And that remained for 18 years. That takes you through Cyrus and Ahasuerus, by the way, and so on and so forth. So uh, at the time of this Haftar, which is in the book of Zechariah, does um, it work over here, the, the it's not 100% clear, but uh, it seems that the temple has just been built or something like that. Meanwhile, during those 18 years, they were stuck um, in Yerushalayim, Unable to do anything. Now, uh, I want you to consider what I'm saying. During that time, the story of Purim happens. A lot of things happen, you know. A lot of things happen. Uh, But eventually, they get permission. uh, We discussed this in the past. The Book of Ezra. They get permission to rebuild the temple, and they do. And they have a dedication, etc., etc. And after they build the temple, the second temple, six months later, Ezra shows up. Um, Ezra shows up. Uh, with a, uh, what's the right word? A Haredi reinforcement, shall we put it that way, to from things out. That's exactly his commission from the king. If you look in the book of Ezra, I think, in chapter 7, you should go and be in charge of making everybody from, keep the mitzvahs, the laws, and so on and so forth. So uh, Ezra is leading a from aliyah, meaning an aliyah of people whose purpose is the, the religious norms. Now, um, when Ezra shows up, again, I repeat, six months after the temple was, was built, he finds big intermarriage. There's a big intermarriage. Uh, and Ezra launches a campaign against the intermarriage. And uh, he seems to have had success. It's not 100% clear. I mean, the usual way of saying it is that Ezra was successful against the intermarriage. When you read the book, it's not 100 If you read closely, <clears throat> it sort of seems that way, but it's, it's not so pushy. And he names names of people who married Goyim, and he names the names, the sons of Yeshua Ben Yed That's my point. This is not some medrash or chazal that they came up with. In the book of Ezra, the names of the sons of Yeshua Ben Yed are, are, are among those who married Goyim. So they go down for shame for eternity, so to speak. Uh, so Mela, the uh, chazal and others, when they coordinate these psukim he looked at Zechariah, who's living at the same time, and it says in an angel, uh, uh, that uh, the Satan, or if you want to say, what's the right word? Uh, the Kategor, right? In Shamayim, so to speak. Because he's a novice. He's he's uh, giving you a prophetic vision. So the Kategor, the accusing angel in heaven, is accusing him of uh, allowing his children to marry Glyon. That's the bottom line. Now, by the time the prophecy is over, God says, "Get all." God says to the Kateger, It's very interesting because God is supposed to be the judge, and the, the is just doing his job, right? He's saying, "Listen, he's got dirty clothes. His his kids man glammed. He didn't stop him." Um, and basically, Hashem says, "Uh, you know, bug off." Uh, right? God says, "Take off the dirty clothes and give him new ones." And to give him a new turban and everything like this. So everything's okay, right? Now, um, he gets a second chance, let's put it that way. Gets a second chance. He's sort of forgiven. From now on, you do right and everything will stay good. So, you know, you messed up once, but don't do it again. That's the, as I understand it, the heart of the uh, the trial and the scene over there. <laughs> now, um, what's the shot that his kids married going? You can say, oh, I guess, listen, it happens, which is true. I'm not denying that, which is true. But I think there is a special factor over here. Um, and here's where I'm coming from. Uh, the Jews, when they went into the first Gaulish, and when they went into the second, did so in a certain way, but when they went into the third, which by which I mean the return to, to Judea, they did not. When the Jews go, this is what we're told in Chazal, when the Jews go to Egypt, in the time of Joseph and Yaakov, it says Yehudah, f- that uh, Yaakov set up a system of day schools and base yakovs to use modern terminology, so that when the tribes, his sons and daughter, will move into Goshen, they will have what we would call today Jewish schools. a base at Talmud, they called, it. What, base Talmud, what Yehuda set up. And the meaning over there is that if they go to a new country, they better have like a Jewish Chinuch framework. Uh, and they did. And as long as Yaakov was alive, they stayed from, then later things went bad. Um... So you see, this was how Yaakov Avinu, who was a smart guy, envisioned the prudent way of coming into a brand new situation. First, you set up the day schools and the yeshivas and the base Yaakovs and that sort of thing, and then the people come. The same thing happened when they went into Gol's bubble. Um, You had the exile of the south of the kingdom of Judah was in two phases. So is the exile in the north, by the way. But I'm concentrating now on this after an exile of the south, the kingdom of Judah. First he had what was called the Golaz Yehoiachin, and then was called the Goles, uh, uh Tzitkiah. They're 10 years apart. And skipping all the politics, when there was the... Uh, this, these are two occasions, A and B, when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylonia, exiled different groups of Jews. And the first one, what they call the Gol's Yehoiachin, it says he exiled the elites. The king, the royal family at that time, maybe the armaments makers, and according to Chazal, the Sanhedrin. Perhaps you will recall Mordechai. How's it go? Remember that? So Mordechai was one of the people from round one. So he wouldn't be a member of the elite. Listen, he was a big rabbi. He ended up becoming a, a member of the elite. And Mordechai um, did Golos Yehochon. That means that when, ten years later, the rest of the Jews got exiled to Bobel, that's called Golos that's Tisha they came to a place where the Sanhedrin and people like that were already living there for ten years. And so what it means is that when they came there, there already was, as I said before, some sort of Chinuch network, however, that worked in those days. Now, I'm going to contrast what I just said with modern America. The problem we have in American Jewish history is simple. People like the big rabbis, the Chavitz and those sort of the types didn't want to come to America. And so, what they said was, don't go, it's a trade for country. So nobody went. Nobody, No big rabbis really went. And... um. They came here and it was a Corbin. It was a Midbar. That's a better way of saying it. So, only later, with the Second World War, did your Avaron Cutler types show up. Right? If you want to be a little more generous, say that people start coming in the 30s. But the point is, a long time people were here where all you have is public school. A was a joke in America. You know that. When they have a Cheyder, a Stamater, nothing worked. We know today in hindsight what what worse. You need what we call day schools and yeshivas and that sort of thing, institutions of that sort. There weren't any. Okay? There weren't any. So as a result, the Jews came here, all went to public school, so to speak, and went off to Derech. Now let's just pretend what if there's a counterfactual. Suppose I were to tell you that your Barron Cutler types showed up here in 1900 or something like that. Um... Well, and, and, and uh, Mendelovitch. So let's put it this way. Already in 1900, there's something called Term By 1905, 1910, you would have had a whole network of schools, especially if they started 1890. And then, just from that alone, just from that alone, the number of Orthodox Jews in America would at least be double and probably triple. Okay? At least. Maybe more, I don't know. But there's no question in my mind, it would at least be double and, and very possibly triple. Because most of the people who came down from simply because it was just public school, you know, in other words, not ideologically, but sociologically. So the fact that you have a system of chinuch and schools and reinforcement simply is pointing out that that's a human nature. You need something there. You can't be in a mid-birth, right? I repeat, it's not that people went bad. It's that there was no chinuch for them, therefore they went, it was like a mid-birth. Um, I want to point out, in the time of Yaakov, he's talking about his sons, they were great people. And Alpha became. he wasn't comfortable with them being able to withstand the problems of assimilation in Egypt if not Yehuda Shalchofan Vagoshna. Unless he sent up Yehuda in the first place. This is the meaning of these tropes in rabbinic literature. They're always trying to get across certain lessons of conduct and all the rest of it. Okay, now I'm going to compare this with the third, with what we're talking about in the Torah today. What happened when the Jews... Led by Zerubbabel and and Yonsedek, old men, but, you know, uh, chalusim. I say they're willing to make the, the long journey. They're willing to make the long journey when others weren't. The others stayed behind in Babylonia. It was more comfortable. So, um, they came to Israel. There was no uh Yaakov system, no TA uh, What am I talking about? It's a, a day school system, Tarmus or anything like that, no yeshivas. Uh, they just showed up and settled down the ground. They hoped to immediately build up a Besam Begdash, uh, I want to remind you of details of the story. When they were given permission to return to Israel, that was Cyrus the Great, Korish, Malch Paras. It's the very beginning of the Book of Ezra. He said, I have a message from heaven that all Jews can go back to Israel. So the 40,000 or so, there's no question in my mind, they viewed themselves simply as the vanguard. They said, today 40,000, but in a month or 2 be another 40,000. A month or two after that, another 40,000 and so forth until the issue builds up. They did not know that they would be the last ones, as the Chazal puts it, whoever crossed the, the bridge over the Euphrates, the Tigris can go and the others stop. They didn't know that they would be left alone by themselves. So they didn't come with any plan for uh, providing, you know, for that group to live in isolation. So what happened? You have 40,000 shall 45,000, they come to a country where the majority is Arabs and Kusim and Amun and all this other stuff that you encounter in these books. Um, they hope to build a base and make Mignesh and we're stopped for 18 years. So let's say you're Ben is a coin Gadol. There is nothing for you to do. You're out of a job, as it were. I mean, they had some kind of a a, a Mizbeah for Olus or something like that. But there was no temple, you get it? Um, and his sons were mamish like unemployed. It's not healthy to have Kohanim ready and able and willing to jump in and do the Avonis-Besimish, and now they're sitting on their hands. You get it? It's time on your hands. Now, if they're super, you know, like I say, if they're barn Kotler types and so forth, fine. But they weren't. And so, unfortunately, it can lead to situation, you've got time on your hands. You can end up in bad company. That's obviously what happened. Because if they did marry Goyim, and that's what they say they did, that's what Ezra said they did, if they managed to it means that they were in the wrong place, at the wrong time. They had time on their hands, because if they were been fully employed in the base, somebody there's twenty-four-seven, the way the base management uh, responsibilities require, and they would have been sons of the high priest, and their father, the high priest, would have been ninety years old or something like that. Therefore, they would have to fill in for him on a lot of issues. They'd be too busy to uh, hang around this place and that place, and they wouldn't have been the man going. You see. So they're victims of circumstances as much as anything else. Now, um, let me tell you something interesting. They did marry Goim. It was a scandal. And that's the meaning of the prophecy in this week's Torah. That the Satan, the Kategor, and Shomayim is standing there, and he's uh, prosecuting against him. Right? And, uh, you know, uh, let's put it this way. Uh, You know, God is uh, saying uh, leave him alone because he's a a survivor of the Holocaust. Vi'gar Bechah Right. That's the scene we see over here. This is gonna be, as I said before, um it's not clear exactly is this when the base image is built already? It's in the middle of the 18 years when it was in the middle. It sounds like in the middle in the middle, but let's say let's say it wasn't. I'm gonna tell you something you do not know. Ezra, I told you before, is gonna show up soon six months after the basement is finally completed, and launch an anti-intermarriage campaign. That's what the book of Ezra is about. Ezra is the uncle, if you know your geolo- genealogy, not that you're being required to, Ezra is the uncle of the high priest. Uh, because Ezra, just take my word for it, Ezra was the uncle of pri- the high and Ezra was the uncle, I think, of Yishim, and was the brother of the ascetic. So in other words, Ezra's a relative. Uh, he's the great uncle of the two priests that married William. Uh Which means he feels particularly to shame in the family and all the rest of it. But it is an all-in-the-family type situation. Now, when Ezra shows up there, what is he doing there? Ezra is doing the and Cutler thing. He says, I'm coming here to set up Lakewood. If I can use that, Mashal. That's what I'm here for. I told you. He came with the specific intention to try to firm everything up. Uh, but Ezra, in my opinion, Ezra kind of failed to realize is a little bit late. Really should have come earlier. Or somebody should have. Because the mess that you see, and the mess is described in different places in Chag, Zechariah, Malachi, and Ezra. You have to look around. The mess that you see is the result, lack of chinuch, basically, lack of us of knowledge. Of, it's almost not, not their fault. These guys were pioneers. Now I'm sounding on like a cook. These guys are pioneers. They actually were willing to make the journey. So they weren't necessarily the biggest scholars anywhere. doesn't say that they were. Uh, But on the other hand, they were Chalotim. They were willing to stake the Jewish claim to Israel. And based on that claim, they were able to get others in there eventually later on as well, which is no small thing. So in other words, let's put it this way. They laid the foundation for Ezra to show up later. Uh, But on the other hand, um, it's almost not their fault because the Jewish people didn't follow by following them, because the king of Persia won't allow them. Now, um, as I say, it's also reflected, by the way, and some of the Mepharshim say that in this week's after I just don't want to just go there and read the different Mepharshim, you do that. Uh, But but some say that the dirty clothes was their ignorance. I think Radak, whoever, that is to say, they didn't know the laws of Kahuna. And this is related to the book of Haggai, where it says he starts asking him Shalos. About a and so forth. Uh, you know, some they got right, some they got wrong. Those of you who did the, uh, what do you call it? The Dafyomi and Sachem. I mentioned this a couple of months ago, and I got many emails back from people. Oh, we just did this in Dafyomi. Happened to be the same day. At the end, you know, in Chanin at the end of the first pack, they talked about this Chagai business. Chamisholatumma, this tumma, that tumma. So they weren't up to snuff. And this is also considered the dirty clothes of the high priest. That they weren't up to snuff in their knowledge of the rules of Tum and Tire, which is which is the primary responsibility, coin godl. Well, it's like America was, you know, when, when the immigrants came over. The, the you require an Ezra to show up and put things right. You see? Now, what I'm saying, that's what Hashem is basically saying. That's how I understand it. The the Kategor is there, Satanoma, you mean sit Lusitno? And the sultan has a good case. And Hashem say, you know, and here the judge like intervenes in a non- uh, judicial manner the judge I, God, the judge I uh, I diss you, O Satan I denounce you, get out of here, leave the guy alone and give him a second chance and in point of fact he is given a second chance and of the sons of Yeshua and, and others, I'm assuming they got rid of their wives they or their children went on to be to Kohanim gedolim uh, for a long time in the Bishanian period. That's how it seems. Uh, so, something bad happened, but whose fault is it? In other words, are you going to be very rigid and blame people for messing up, or do you say you look at the context and the circumstances, and uh, and God says, I do understand the circumstances. So like I said, it's like a Zionist thing. And Hashem said, listen, they came uh, they moved to Israel when the others didn't. Uh, unfortunately, there weren't a lot of girls there, weren't a lot of this there. Uh, the base of Mikdash didn't work out. They had too much time in their hands. All the rest, it. by the time Ezra shows up, there's a base of Mikdash, and Ezra said, "Listen, we're going to make this work." And so now they don't have time in their hands, and uh, they're going to have to go and you know clean up their act, as it were. Clean up the act is exactly the words you have in this pasha. He said, "Get rid of your dirty clothes and put on new clothes." Now the king, the Cohen Gadol, didn't actually. To be on stand switch clothes, but what it means is, you know, you're you're Han Hoggus. So what does it mean when somebody does Teshuvah? Right? When he has regret for the past and resolve for the future. What does it mean? I mean you're the same person. Yeah, but you're wearing different clothes now. Isn't that that's a nice muscle. Right? And wouldn't you wouldn't you agree? You know, a guy was doing something bad and so forth, and um and then it changes. And uh, so a nice way of putting it is I don't wear those clothes anymore. I can't say I changed my physical appearance because we are what we are, but you can always change your clothes. So imagine a guy dressing very villed, for example. And then you see him a year. Here's a good example. see a lot of guys in high school and they're hanging around, dressed like this, that, and the other. And then the guy goes off to Israel and flips. And he comes back a year later. He's dressed very differently. Right? Dressed very different. All of a, sudden, a black hat, you know? All this kind of, it's very different. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, I'm the same person I was, but Ray, have, how's the expression? I took, have team, uh, uh how's it go over here? He says, I took off your bad clothes and put the good clothes. Right? I'm switching your clothes. That's a nice muscle. Um, so, and it points out, um, that you can't judge anybody if you don't have the chinuch in place. Uh, it's too much to expect that uh, a guy will not be a guy and a girl won't be a girl in normal circumstances. I don't care how righteous you are. That's why, exactly, we strive to set up frameworks and youth groups and schools and all that kind of business relentlessly. And now in America and Israel they've had to say and they need a kolel you need this afterwards you need a Dafyomi class afterwards, all the rest. It doesn't stop because the counter forces are always there. The counter forces are always there. And frankly, you know, if you're out in the workforce, you could become like the sons of Yeshua and said, he's in a drop of that You need always to be on top of that. You have to have a framework to handle that. We all know this. The Venus Midian is not a story from thousands of years ago, unfortunately. It's a messiahs. So here you had two big people that fell for it, the sons of the Koenigodal, but they turned it around. The point of the haftaura is they turned around. I think that that's just a very interesting um, way of looking at a gullish situation um, that can apply in everybody's life. And I leave you with the nice image of a person changes as no longer the person he was before. Your face is the same, but your clothes are different. Anyway, with that, once again, I wish the Hertzbergs that uh, happy uh, birthday, the special birthday. And uh, to the cones the yard Set of the Mother, on, on Friday. And on that point, I wish everybody a good job and a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.